I almost never take vacation, but I decided this weekend I would get out of town with sweet little Elisa and disconnect from the news for a few days and even miss a show, something I almost never do on Columbus Day. And during that brief little time away, the world blew up. Hamas terrorists launched the worst attack on the state of Israel in 50 years, committed all sorts of crimes against civilians, killing more than 700 Israelis and injuring at least 2,500 people. I'm sure the numbers are higher. That was as of yesterday evening. Now, the Israeli government is, understandably, retaliating against Hamas in Gaza. The conflict will almost certainly draw in more combatants. Iran, which funded the attack, the U.S. as the global hegemon, at least for now, and who knows how many other countries. Thousands of civilians will be killed. With a global order already threatened by a rising China, rising bipolarity, the first major war in Europe since the 1940s, we could be on the brink of world war and even a restructuring of the international order. The most gut-wrenching part of the whole thing is the attack the initial attack on Israeli civilians by Hamas. The second most gut-wrenching part is the destruction, particularly of civilians, in the war that will now inevitably follow. But only slightly less gut-wrenching is the knowledge that we had peace in the Middle East just three years ago. Three years ago, historic peace in the Middle East, throughout the world, really, but especially and most implausibly, in the most fraught region on earth. And then we just gave it up. We just gave it away. We got a new leader of the world, supposedly for the purpose of restoring normalcy. Because three years ago, politics, it was so abnormal. Yeah, it was abnormal. And we did did get that return to normalcy. That campaign promise, I'm sorry to say, is exactly what we got. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. While the world burns, the United Nations is concerned about trans lesbians, the, the plight that they face. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, you remember when Joe Biden gave Iran billions of dollars not that long ago? This would have been in uh, July. Joe Biden gave $10 billion to Iran from Iraq. And then a month after that, he, he approved the unfreezing of $6 billion in Iranian oil revenues. And uh, then Iran funded the largest terror attack perhaps ever in the state of Israel, Uh, certainly the largest act of war in 50 years that threatens to plunge the entire world into a conflict. Uh, Here is the U.S. Secretary of State explaining himself. With regard to the the funds that you mentioned um, that um, uh, were released to or were made available to Iran for humanitarian purposes, uh, as part of uh, getting Americans back who are being held and detained in Iran. Let's be very clear about this. And it's deeply unfortunate that some are playing politics when so many lives have been lost and Israel remains under attack. The facts are these. No U.S. Uh, taxpayer dollars were involved. These were Iranian resources uh, that uh, Iran had accumulated from the sale of its oil uh, that were stuck in a bank in South Korea. 
They have had from day one, under our law, under our sanctions, the right to use these monies for humanitarian purposes. They were moved from one account uh, to another in another country to facilitate that use. As of now, not a single uh, uh, dollar has been spent uh, from that account. And again, uh, the account is closely regulated by the U.S. Treasury Department, so it can only be used for things like food, medicine, uh, medical equipment. That's what this is about. Everything is wrong about his statement, and I don't think he's a stupid man. The charitable read on what he's saying is that he's just really, really stupid. But I don't think he's really stupid, so I think he's being deceitful here. He's saying, on the one hand, look, this isn't American money. We got nothing to do with this, okay? This ain't U.S. taxpayer dollars. This is Iran's money that we've been controlling and that is highly regulated by the U.S. government. But it's not us. We're not involved at all, but we actually control the whole thing. So we didn't really do anything. We bear no culpability, but we're the ones who unfroze it. And But we told them, that's the first part. It's so ridiculous. If you are the possessor, if you are the controller of funds, and then you open those funds up for use by Iran— you bear some culpability for what happens with those funds. So, and he anticipates this. So, so he then pivots and he says, but we told them, this money that was already theirs that we had no control over, we told them you can only use this for humanitarian purposes. Does the U.S. Secretary of State not understand that money is fungible? Does the U.S. Secretary of State say, not understand that if, you, if you've got a, a derelict brother, let's say. Your derelict brother is a a drug addict. And you've got, he says, hey man, can you spot me a hundred bucks? And your derelict brother, he's got, he's got a hundred bucks. And you say, okay, I'll give you a hundred bucks, but you can only use this for food. You can only use this for shelter. You can't use this for drugs. And you give him the money, what's he going to do? He's obviously going to go out and buy drugs, but he can come back to you and tell you with a straight face, no, I didn't use your hundred bucks for the drugs. I used my hundred bucks for the drugs. And then I used your hundred bucks for the food and the shelter that I otherwise would have used my hundred bucks for. So it's not really, I didn't, I separated all the dollars out. So don't worry, your dollars didn't go for the bad thing. Only my dollars did. And my dollars were able to go for the bad thing because I had your dollars to spend on the good thing. So you bear no responsibility. It wasn't your money. Money is fungible. Just all gets kind of mixed together. And so obviously if you're giving Iran, $10 billion, $6 billion, $16 billion. Obviously, that's just going to free up other resources to fund this kind of stuff. By the way, at the time when the U.S. said, don't don't do terrorism with this, the Iranian president, Ebrahim Raisi, said that Iran was going to use the money however it wanted to. So it, it, it's, not, it's not even as though the U.S. could say, ah, oh, drats, they got us again. They... They promised us, they did a pinky promise that they wouldn't use it on terrorism, and then they did, but we believed them. No, they told you. They said, we're going to use this exactly how we want to, which is going to be terrorism, by the way. Now, how, how are we all to think about this in the West? A lot of people are deeply invested in the Israel-Palestine conflict. A lot of people are not. A lot of people don't particularly care. They don't want civilians to be killed, and they don't, and they don't want our country and other countries to be brought into a global conflict. So how, how do those kinds of people think about this attack and this war that's about to happen? A, a, good, a good lens through which to view this war is the lens of Karen Atia, who is a Washington Post columnist. She once led the paper's international opinion section. Uh, 
she retweeted two, two takes on Israel-Palestine. The first one is, what did you all think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers. So she's, th- this WAPO columnist, former head of an opinion section, is, is cheering on Hamas and the rape of civilian women and the execution of civilian elderly and babies and just all sorts of war crimes, cheering it on. And everyone's attacking her for this, rightly so. But at the very least, I give her points for honesty because the the tweet that she retweeted is exactly right. All this talk about decolonization, which is a clinical, abstract, euphemistic term, that's always what this meant. Decolonization always meant kill civilians. Decolonization always meant attack, torture, murder civilians and take things by force, not by law. That's always what it was. And a bunch of liberal white people uh, convinced themselves, you know, establishment center leftists convinced themselves that, no, this would be a kind of a peaceful thing, man. We're just, look, this is, this is a really sophisticated, nuanced view of world affairs. That's not it. It was always going to be civilian bloodshed. Then the other tweet that she retweeted was Karen Atia. Uh, Uh, She retweeted Amy Saul, who says, liberation, self-determination, and peace for all oppressed plus colonized people. That's my politics. Even if you do not care about the Israel-Palestine conflict, there are many people who say, look, I have very little connection to this region. Maybe I I like the the Holy Land, but I have never visited the Holy Land. I I, I don't have friends who live in this place. I don't really, it doesn't interest me. It's very difficult not to see how the pro-Palestinian argument applies to every Western person as well as to the Jews. Because the pro-Palestinian argument is liberation, self-determination, peace for the oppressed and the colonized. We need decolonization. It's exactly the same language that AOC uses to talk about us. It's exactly the same language that BLM uses. It's exactly the same language that Antifa uses. So you might say, I don't have anything to do with Israel. I don't care about Israel. I don't care about Palestine or Gaza or any of these people. I don't want any of us to go over to war there. I don't, of course, none of us do. None of us want any of that. But if you're trying to figure out which side you're on, which side you're generally more supportive of in this war, to me, it is quite striking that all of the all of the arguments for the pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine side are the exact arguments that BLM and Antifa and the Squad and all the rest of them make against ordinary, normal, conservative, traditional Americans. There's a reason for that. And what decolonization has meant to Hamas in Israel is exactly what decolonization means to AOC and the Squad and BLM and Antifa right here in the US of A doesn't look very good. When you want to look good, you got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to genucel.com slash Knowles. Everyone here at the office loves the Genucel dark spot corrector. You might be asking what this product even does. Well, if you have sunspots, dark spots, discoloration, or dry skin, the Genucel dark spot corrector will help those blemishes disappear. Kimberly from Youngstown, Ohio says, quote, my appearance has improved so much since using Genucel. I love all my Genucel products and my skin looks younger. Now it's your turn to feel like Kimberly. But hurry, because this sale is ending very soon. Take advantage of Genucel's most popular package, which includes the beloved Dark Spot Corrector. This package also includes 
GenuCell's classic under eye treatment. You will get all of these products from a 70% off. GenuCell's so confident in their products, you can try them yourself completely risk-free. If you don't see immediate results, you will get your money back. It's simple. Go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Start looking years, even decades younger tomorrow. Say hello to the very best skin that you've ever had at GenuCell.com slash Knowles. That is GenuCell.com slash Knowles. There are a lot of rumors flying around in this war, and no one really knows what is true. One of them, and this was really sad, I saw this pop up on Twitter, and I'm ranking things by tragedy here. Obviously, the number one tragedy is that attack. The number two tragedy is the civilian deaths in the war that will follow. The number three tragedy is the loss of the world order and uh, potential restructuring of the international order. Under that is the potential destruction of works of art, works of culture, sacred places. We're talking about the Holy Land. And obviously we value human life above all of these things. But but some, some of these artifacts, some of the relics, some of the institutions in the Holy Land date back a long time. One of which is St. Porphyrios Church in Gaza. This is a church that dates back to the early 5th century It was then rebuilt by crusaders in the 12th century. And there were reports going around all day yesterday that the Israelis bombed Gaza and destroyed the church. Where people were posting this left and right, and it it was genuinely tragic. You think, no, this church stood for 1,600 years. It was one of the oldest churches in the world, and it just was destroyed in this this violence. Oh, that's, that's so, on top of everything else, that's so awful. And then... The church responded and said, no, we're fine. The church, it's a Greek Orthodox church, they they were posting on Facebook. They said, no, this news is wrong. The church is currently opening its doors to receive refugees inside. Who knows? I hope, I pray it's not destroyed in any of the coming violence. I was skeptical of this news story when I saw it, but the news was coming out so, so fast. And it occurred to me, oh, right, that, that is very good Hamas propaganda, that the church was destroyed because it gets Westerners and it gets Christians to, if not turn against the Israelis, at least to back off from the condemnation of Hamas and the calls for destruction in Gaza. Oh, that's really good war propaganda. And who knows, maybe it came out of Iran, maybe it came out of Hamas, maybe it was just some grassroots kind of effort. But that is one example out of a billion of propaganda fake news stories that are going to fly around. My Chief recommendation when it comes to analyzing these events is to be extremely skeptical of any information that you see swirling coming out of any side about any aspect of this war. Double check, triple check, everything. Propaganda flies a lot faster in times of war. Wars in the Middle East, wars around the Holy Land are particularly tense. They involve basically every single player on earth. We were already on the brink of World War III because of the first major war in Europe breaking out since World War II. The global order can collapse very, very quickly. World wars have started for a lot less than this. Be very careful of the information you're seeing. Meanwhile, as the world order crumbles, the United Nations is focused on what they believe really matters, which is the plight of trans lesbians. Uh, the United Nations Women Account on October 9th tweets out, quote, remember trans lesbians, or lesbians too, 
Let's uplift and honor every expression of love and identity. Happy International Lesbian Day. And I'm really glad that the UN tweeted this out. As war was breaking out in the Holy Land, as the the world order was fraying, because this tells you everything you need to know about the UN, which is that not only is it useless, but it's actually extremely counterproductive. It distracts from things that really matter. It substitutes the UN being a creation of the Western world, the, the UN being led by the United States. It substitutes good, sturdy, proper virtues and a moral order for a bunch of nonsense that is frivolous at best and and wicked and disordered at worst. And it's complete nonsense. My response to the UN, let's remember trans lesbians are lesbians too. Let's uplift and and honor every expression of love and identity? No, let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Because as as we're seeing all around us, some identities are in conflict with other identities. If your identity is that you're a man, but you're really a woman, that conflicts with the identity that you're a man and you can't become a woman. That conflicts with the identity that you're a woman and you can't become a man. If you have one religious view that will very likely conflict with another religious view. And some are going to be more or less correct than others. If you have one political view, it's going to conflict with another political view. Some are going to be more or less uh, reasonable than others. And we need to establish those parameters in order to have order. When you don't have those parameters, when you engage in a radical kind of skepticism, when you engage in a radical kind of cultural relativism, when you just try to to promote pluralism for pluralism's sake, you end up with disorder and chaos, and inevitably those tensions are going to flare up in violence, and that violence is going to threaten the stability of the entire world. Turning back to domestic politics, RFK Jr., as predicted— over the past couple of days, announces he is running, not as a Democrat for president anymore, but as an independent. We have to acknowledge the truth. We do face a decaying infrastructure and record record levels of suicide, depression, addiction, chronic disease. We do face an entrenched political corruption and an inequality of wealth not seen in a century. But the good news is that people like yourselves are finally fed up. Something something is stirring in us that says it doesn't have to be this way. And that's why I'm here today. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. He is an independent candidate for president. And he's got, doesn't seem like a huge crowd there, but a crowd enough, at least for the announcement. Uh, This is a smart move for Bobby Kennedy Jr. He was obviously not going to win the Democrat nomination. He's polling at 15% among Democrats. That's not enough to get you there. Even if it were enough, the Democrat Party still has enough control over its process that it can, at least to some degree, overrule the voters. It wasn't going to happen. So now he runs as an independent. Some conservatives are worried. I'm not worried. Bobby Kennedy, I think, takes more votes, many more votes, away from Joe Biden than he does from Donald Trump. Some right-wingers kind of like Bobby Kennedy because he was against the COVID vaccine. That's pretty much the only reason for conservatives to support Bobby Kennedy. He's pro-abortion. He's anti-gun. He's pro-immigration. He's a, he's a liberal. He's a, he's a liberal Democrat on basically every single issue except for COVID vaccines. He's, he's fanatic about global warming. 
I don't think he's a terrible guy. He's a much better Democrat than most Democrats out there, but he's going to appeal to moderate Democrats. He's not going to appeal mostly to conservatives, center-right, MAGA Republicans, any of that. I am all for the Bobby Kennedy independent run. I do not think he is going to be Ross Perot. I think he is going to be Ralph Nader, and I am here for it. We need some renewal in our political order, and you need renewal in your home, which is why you got to check out Renewal by Anderson. Right now, text Knowles to 200-300. For most homeowners, window replacement is not something they've done before. For many others, it is not something they want to do, but rather something they have to do. Have you put off replacing the windows in your home because it's too expensive? Well, I've got great news. You can now get a free in-home window consultation and a free quote from Renewal by Anderson. Renewal by Anderson's signature service is committed to giving you the best customer experience possible, supported by the best people in the industry. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home or virtual consultation on durable, quality, affordable windows or patio doors for $0, down zero payments, and zero interest for one year. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 200-300 for your free consultation. Save $375 off every window and $750 off every door. These savings will not last long, so be sure to check it out. I had a carpenter write into me, totally unsolicited, said when he goes into homes, the best work he sees is from Renewal by Anderson. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 200-300. That is Knowles to 200-300. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. Faith Moore. Andrew Clavin's talented daughter, though no relation, has written a new rendition of the age-old Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, except this time it's with a K. It's a modern twist on the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, except for the female protagonist. In a world where boss babes are championed at the expense of family, Faith is making the case that having what matters is far better than having it all. Christmas Carol is now available for pre-order. Order yours on Amazon or wherever you get your books today. Is Trump the inevitable GOP nominee? That's the question that Bobby Kennedy is wondering. That's the question that Republicans are wondering right now. Uh, Ron DeSantis is making a bold move, one of the first really bold moves to come out of his campaign, and that is to move a third of his campaign staff to Iowa. Uh, DeSantis is essentially gambling his campaign now on Iowa. A third of the campaign staff goes there. He's got around $5 million in available primary funds in the war chest. That's according to New York Times report. So Iowa going to be that first in the nation contest that sets the tone for the rest of the race. Uh, Still, even there, Trump is above 49% in support, according to regular politics, in Iowa. He's 51% support in the GOP primary, according to CBS News. So he's way, way up, not just nationally. He's way, way up in Iowa, too. Is this stupid for DeSantis then? No, I don't think it's stupid for DeSantis. I think this is probably DeSantis's best bet. But that tells you more about how the campaign is doing than about DeSantis's uh, likelihood of beating Donald Trump. Because Iowa does not predict the Republican nominee. Iowa has not predicted the Republican nominee for president in more than 20 years. The last time it happened was George W. Bush. Uh, furthermore, even, even if it did predict the Republican nominee, he's not polling all that well to begin with. Furthermore, when 
candidates who get a big hype start pulling resources out of later states and focusing them all on one or two early primary states, that's usually a sign that the campaign is floundering and it's not going to go very far. Giuliani did that after Giuliani was viewed as potentially a front runner in 2008. And then he put it all on Florida and it collapsed. Uh, John Huntsman, who I personally lo- love John Huntsman, uh, he focused a lot of his efforts on New Hampshire. It didn't help the campaign whatsoever. This happens time and time and time again. Uh, but what does DeSantis do? His options are either pull resources out of all of these states, try to get a good showing in at least one of them, and even if that doesn't make him the nominee, at least he'll have had one state where he performed pretty well in, or drop out. But he can't drop out. He's pot committed at this point. It's not like he can just drop out and make nice with Donald Trump, become the vice presidential nominee, or kind of go his own way and then come back four years later. He's in it. So he does appear to be largely backed into a corner. If I were on his campaign, I'd probably have made this bet, but it's not the kind of bet you want to have to make. Speaking of the presidency, this is a really... This is a really unfortunate story. Joe Biden's younger brother, Frank, has just shown up naked on a gay porn app. Good night, everybody. I think, you know, on that kind of a story, I don't even want to go any further. Uh, Frank Biden, now the second Biden to show up naked on the internet. uh, He's on this gay porn app. I don't even know which one it's called. Guyswithiphones.com. Not a, not a very creative title, is it? Uh, this is according to DailyMail.com. They've got the naked selfie. So this wasn't a candid shot. He was taking it of himself. Uh, Frank Biden says, I have absolutely no comment. I could care less. I ha- First of all, just to pause there. The phrase is, I could not care less. If you say, I could care less, that means that you care somewhat, at least. So I don't mean to nitpick the grammar. That one drives me crazy, though. And it actually might tell you a little something about Biden's role in all of this. He says, I could care less. I haven't even looked at it. They must have hacked my phone. Anything that is a revealing picture of some kind is between Mindy and me, I guess his wife. I really don't want to start off my day this way. Definitely didn't post it anywhere. Maybe he was hacked. People try to hack our phones all the time, even just among conservative uh, commentators and activists and anyone with any public profile. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're trying to hack the phone of the brother of the president of the United States. The reason, though, that I'm a little skeptical of the they hacked my phone excuse is that this photo apparently didn't just appear on guyswithiphones.com. It showed up in 2018. So it showed up before Joe was president. It showed up after Joe was in the Senate for almost 50 years. It showed up after Joe was the vice president. It showed up at the one period of Joe's life when he was in private life. And before he was president, and then it's just kind of surfacing now, Uh, regardless of whether Frank Biden is a deeply, deeply closeted homosexual or if he's just a victim of a hacking or something. My takeaway, my advice to everybody, stop taking naked pictures of yourself. Stop it. Stop it. Whether Whether it's for your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend whether it's for some app like this one, a gay app or a straight app or some kind of polyamorous, pan-gender, otherwise imaginative kind of, what it, stop it. Nothing good will ever come from you taking naked pictures of yourself. Be normal. Stop being weird. 
Stop being a weirdo. Weirdos take naked pictures of themselves. You should not endeavor to be like that. You should endeavor to be normal. Good grief, these people. Ah, Speaking of responsible behavior, there's a report out. I teased it on Friday. We'll get to it now. Gen Z is drinking a lot less than other generations. I was just on vacation, sipping a few salty dogs by, by the pool, you know, not being very much like a Zoomer. According to this report from the journal, nearly a quarter of 18 to 29-year-olds are more likely to smoke cannabis compared to older generations. That, to me, should be the headline of this article. Because the headline of the article and the whole thrust of it is, Gen Z, they're sober, they're not drinking, the millennials and the Gen Xers and the boomers, they're, they're alcoholics, but the younger generation is getting sober. They're not getting sober. They're just getting intoxicated on other substances. And the substance they're getting intoxicated on is marijuana, which uh, older generations are much less likely to use. And booze is better than pot, is what I'm saying. I know this is going to be controversial. I know my chat is going to explode with a bunch of people who have the Grateful Dead playing in the background who are you know, just kind of vibing out to the show. And they're going to say, Michael, how dare you say that? Marijuana is a miracle drug. It cures everything. Every problem I ever had was cured by marijuana. I love it. It's great. Booze is terrible. The minute you take one smell of a glass of wine, you're going to just start going out and beating your wife and neighbors and dogs and shooting people. And you don't, And you're going to hear all of this, but it's uh, simply not the case. Uh, Tucker Carlson had a good argument on this not that long ago. Tucker said that, this was back when he was still on Fox, the ruling class they want us to, to put down tobacco and pick up marijuana. So it's not about lung health. It's not about our alveoli. It's not about cancer risk or anything like that. It's simply about one smoking substance over another. Tobacco, for all its negative side effects, it makes you sharper, it makes you faster, it makes you more focused. It's the sort of thing you do while you're working so you can work faster and harder. It's the sort of thing that the manly men in in Mad Men were doing. Marijuana makes you duller, makes you stupider, makes you slower, makes you less funny, makes you less ambitious, makes you want to eat more potato chips. Okay, so the regime, they don't care about your lungs, don't care about your health. They just want you complacent and stupid. I think the same thing applies here. I'm not recommending that anyone drink to excess ever, but alcohol makes you a little more sociable. Alcohol makes you a little more chatty at parties. Alcohol livens you up. It's a social lubricant. Marijuana does the opposite. Marijuana makes you more introverted, makes you kind of sit around, pull back into yourself, makes you slower, makes you... So if you got to pick one, don't do anything to excess. But that's, I don't... I, didn't, I know all the all the... Gen Zers, all the establishment outlets, they're probably going to view this as a good thing. I don't view it as a good thing. You have a choice between a nice glass of red wine and a bong. Civilization chooses the red wine. Now, we're going to turn away from the youths for a second toward the older generation. I mentioned Rudy Giuliani earlier. Rudy Giuliani is suing Joe Biden for defamation. Here's why. It's a typical New York Times malicious lie. I do not have an alcohol problem. I have never had an alcohol problem. And the reason I told you what I achieved is nobody could have achieved that if they did. When the hell was I drinking? 
I was working 24 hours a day. It's a big damn lie by a newspaper that's a disgrace and by a reporter who covered me, used to cover me very, very, uh, in a very glowing way, and now is vicious and mean in what she does. Thank and, you. And it, uh, it's my press conference. Vicious and mean. And if it weren't for the protections that the press gets, with Times Against Sullivan, I mean, she should be sued for libel. She should also be thrown out of the profession for being a damn liar. But that's okay. So Rudy, while explaining his defamation suit against Biden, talking about how all these other people are defaming him too. The latest attack is that Rudy's an alcoholic. And Rudy has a good counter-argument to this, which is, I'm extremely productive, <laughs> okay? I was the most successful mayor in the history of New York. I had a very successful legal consulting business after that. I'm on TV 24-7. I was the lawyer to the sitting president of the United States. I Give me a break. When would I have been drunk? I was on camera most of the time. And even if you think I'm eccentric, I probably wasn't drunk. So he's saying this is a specific defamatory claim, and I'm going to sue. And I'm going to go sue all the way up to Joe Biden. Does Giuliani have a case, a defamation case, against Joe or any of the Bidens? Yes, he does. And not just on something like, you know, a claim of being an alcoholic. Hunter Biden, during one of his most infamous interviews, during the 2020 race, claimed that Rudy Giuliani was a wacko conspiracy theorist peddling a pack of lies that Hunter Biden had taken money on behalf of the Biden family from crooked people around the world. Do you regret being on the board to begin with? No, I don't regret being on the board. What I regret is not taking into account that there would be a Rudy Giuliani and a president of the United States that would be listening to this, this ridiculous conspiracy idea, which has, again, been completely debunked by everyone. It's been completely debunked. I wasn't getting money from Ukraine and China and shaking down people on behalf of my father, the big guy who Rudy found the laptop. He found my laptop. He found my messages. I know it says I gave a bunch of money to my dad and I shook down foreigners, including the Chinese Communist Party, for tens of millions of dollars. But no, I don't. That's all fake. It's all been debunked. And then it was rebunked. And it, then it was just proven to be true. And, you know, when you look at a, a claim like, hey, you drink too much, that's probably not going to hold up in a defamation lawsuit. But if Rudy is suing Joe Biden for saying, you know, you're a Putin stooge, you're a Russian propagandist, you're, that, that really might. And I, I, I encourage this lawsuit, one, because I have a real soft spot for Rudy Giuliani because he's the greatest mayor in the history of New York. But two, because Joe Biden needs to be held to account for his career for his half century of defamatory lies. This is a guy who lies with, with such ease that I don't think he even understands what the truth is anymore. This is a guy who lied about the, the, the man who accidentally, in this horrible accidental car accident, killed his wife, killed uh, Joe Biden's wife. And Biden had acknowledged the man. He wasn't drunk. He was It was just a horrible, horrible accident. And the man, I mean, he just was racked with guilt for the rest of his life. And then Biden, on the campaign trail, decides he's going to start claiming that the man was a drunk driver. This is, this is Joe Biden, a man who, speaking to audiences, will just make up facts about his son, about his 
career, about things he's said, about things he's voted on, beliefs he's held. He just lies with impunity. And so I'm all for it. Rudy, baby, take this guy to the cleaners, please. My favorite comment on Friday is from user SR8DL5WL1Z. That sounds like an Elon Musk child. That is, a, that is a very long and intricate name. Michael's transitions, he says, from serious topics to selling pumpkin spice and genucel is freaking hilarious. Never a dull moment in Knowles Nation. Lol. Thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that because you know what? Life goes on. Life goes on. It must, even amid tragedy, even amid fear, even, you know, life just goes on. And we got to keep on lighting those pumpkin spice candles, find little bits of uh, humor in there while we can. And uh, sufficient to today is the uh, misery and apprehension and anxiety thereof. Uh, Speaking of crime and punishment, there is a transgender activist who's really, really nervous about a Florida law that would give the death penalty to child abusers. Take it away, ma'am. So there have been some interesting bills coming out of Florida this week, such as the multiple proposals that would allow the death penalty for anyone who sexually batters a child under the age of 12, which was approved unanimously, or the vote to allow the death penalty on a split jury. Out of the 27 states that allow the death penalty, Florida is now one of four that allows it based on a split jury. Now you might be thinking, you know, people who harm children deserve the worst penalties in the world, and sure. But I want us to think about how we keep having these scares focused around minorities about how we are going to harm the children, we are going to be predators, we are going to be etc. Giving the government the right to murder just means they have to redefine who deserves murder before you are on that list, before we are on that list. I don't want to accuse this guy of anything. Is it a guy or a gal? Or No one knows. No one really knows. Aren't you kind of telling on yourself a little bit? If, you, if there's a law that says we're going to kill uh, child rapists, and then you, you say, this is endangering all of us. Aren't you kind of telling on yourself a little bit? Probably you are. And what's the argument? The argument is, well, no, look, it's fine to it's fine to punish child rapists, but there are these scares about minorities, minorities like pedophiles, minorities like child abusers. And the scares will, especially if, if you can convict someone and sentence them to death on a split jury, the scares mean that some of us will be killed. That would be a good uh, encouragement. To, to not be part of one of the groups that gets lumped in with the child rapists. That would be a good encouragement for that. He says, well, if or she, again, I really don't know. I'm going to say that person. That person says that, uh, you know, if you give the government the power to commit murder, which we've got to stop there, the death penalty is not murder. The death penalty is the just and legal killing by the civil authority of people who have been found guilty of crimes. And the civil authority does not bear the sword in vain. So by giving the government the power to kill people, the government already has that power. The government has always had that power. The government has had that power back through antiquity, up through the present, and at every point in between. By giving the government that power, no, by by deciding not whether or not the government can execute justice, that's the primary purpose of the government, you're saying, who will the government punish? Will the government punish 
mothers and fathers for trying to educate their kids. That's what Biden wants. Will the government punish and pressure Catholics for going to mass on Sunday? That's what Joe Biden wants. That's what this government wants. Will the government punish you for not taking an experimental drug that was produced and at least developed using aborted fetal cells? Uh, That's what this government wants. Will the government punish you with 11 years in prison for protesting infanticide? Well, that's what this government wants. Or will the government punish infanticide? Or will the government punish child abuse? Or will the government punish obscenity? It's going to punish something. What, What is it going to punish? Which side are we on? Speaking of woke activists, someone even woker than that transsexual complaining about laws against pedophiles. Uh, Mark Milley, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he is retired, and he's retired with a parting shot at Donald Trump. What uh, Milley has said is, quote, you say we in uniform are unique. We are unique among the world's armies. We are unique among the world's militaries. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or a tyrant or a dictator, and we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. And the wannabe dictator presumably is uh, Donald Trump. This guy goes on and he preens and he whines just like he was preening and whining about white rage and while, while he was defending his, his view that the U.S. military, that our troops should not spend all of their time training to kill the enemy, but they should spend their time studying critical race theory, that they should spend their time studying radical leftist ideology to understand the roots of so-called white rage. This guy is a joke. I'm glad he's out of the military, and there are a lot more Mark Milley's out there that need to go. My takeaway from from Milley's parting shot is that Senator Tommy Tuberville is a hero because Senator Tommy Tuberville alone is holding up promotions in the U.S. military, because the U.S. military, the Pentagon, has insisted on a new policy uh, through which they're going to pay for service members to kill their children. After Roe v. Wade was overruled, after certain states reverted to laws protecting babies, the Pentagon decided, okay, if you are stationed in a state that won't let you kill your babies, we're going to pay you to go out of state to go kill your babies. And Tommy Tuberville said, whoa, what? Where did this come from? No way. Get rid of this policy, Pentagon. And the Pentagon said, who the hell do you think you are? You're just a U.S. senator. You're just a member of one of the three branches of government. You're just a civilian elected to oversee and run the government by the people of this country. And we're not going to let you tell us what to do. So there's been a holdup here. And Tommy Tuberville says, okay, well, if you're not going to, if you're not going to play ball, then I'm not going to give you your promotions. I'm not going to allow you to keep bumping up all your generals. And he has been under so much pressure by Democrats and some Republicans who say, we need military fitness. We need a fighting force. You've got the first major war in Europe since World War II. You've got now war breaking out in the Middle East. This, we need those generals. Yeah, I agree. But it's not Tommy Tuberville that, that is preventing the military from having its generals. It's the Pentagon. If the Pentagon top brass believes that killing American infants is more important than being able to have generals to go kill our enemies, that's the Pentagon's problem. We got a very simple trade here. You're so afraid about national security. You're so afraid about the wars breaking out around the world. Okay, yeah, uh, we, we, I have some fear about that too. I, I want some caution there too. So stop killing little American children and you get your generals. Oh, that deal's too harsh for you? Okay, then here we are. I guess we're not going to be a very fit fighting force in that case anyway. Clear up. Mark Milley's gone. Good. That's a, you know what I call that? I call that a good start. Now today, 
Even though it's my first day back, I didn't have Monday on, so it's Trans Tuesday. The rest of the show continues. Now, you don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 